0: Welcome to Writers with Wrinkles, where authors Beth McMullen and Lisa Schmid iron out the wrinkles in writing, publishing, and everything in between, one podcast at a time.
1: Everyone, welcome to episode 29 Books on Botox and Hot Tip episode. A quick shout out to any new listeners joining us from Castbox. I finally ironed out how to add Castbox to our directory. So, all of you new listeners, welcome to our little corner of the podcasting universe. We are very happy to have you here. We've had so many good things going on lately. Lisa and I want to spend like three minutes just doing some self-congratulations of ourselves, which, you know, I don't know. Is that, is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong. Do you think it's wrong? Is it? (laughs) Is it? Okay. So our last episode was Matt and Lisa McMahon, who are married couple, both middle grade writers. Lisa is a multi-time New York times bestseller. They are so fun and wonderful. That is a great, great episode, but it also has a giveaway attached to it. So you should go out, look on Twitter, our Twitter, and participate in that giveaway. We're giving away some of Matt's new books,
0: which, by the way, are wonderful. And you're right; they are like two of the nicest people on the planet. They are Kidlet rock stars. I don't, who can we compare them to? Like in the nobody. I know. <laughs> I you know. <laughs> Don't even get me started about Taylor Swift. It's too soon in the podcast. Okay,
1: no, we have to wait a little while before we go launching into Taylor Swift. (laughs)
0: But no, Matt and Lisa are all kinds of fabulous. They're just really kind people and deserve all the success they have. And they're so supportive of other people. And so go out and listen to them.
1: Lisa gives some very practical advice on ways that you can engage with communities that you're visiting through the schools and through indie bookstores, which I thought was really, really precise and great. Now, I'm the kind of person, if I go to a conference, I have to leave with two or three practical nuggets of information, things that I can do that actually apply to the day-to-day and Lisa gives some some of that type of advice stuff that you can actually use to improve your marketing and your reach and the way that you get your books into the hands of new readers. I really liked that part.
0: I did too. And I've been looking at some of the comments we've been getting on Twitter and just the the nuggets, the little bits that people are taking away from various guests is really exciting. We've had a lot of really good feedback on Erin Pascal, who is with Andrews McMeal um, as an editor. Right. And she
1: was another one who gave a handful of really practical things that new writers or even writers who have been in the the biz for a long time, things that you can do to improve your odds of getting either that first book deal or that next book deal. Or making the book deal that you already have in place more successful. Those were all really good. I know that our next episode next week with Hannah McKinnon also the same type of thing. She writes women's fiction, beach reads. I'm sure most of you have heard of her. But a lot of practical advice, things that you can do that will help your chances of success down the road.
0: So you make sure you you tag that one to listen to.
1: Plus, we also talked about Taylor Swift. <laughs>
0: Oh my God, we're always, okay, I just have to say, in the latest, (laughs) I'm like such an old Swifty now, I spend too much time thinking about her, (laughs) so... But I was watching, because I watched like the little clips and she, somebody like a security guard was being mean to like one of the fans. It was just, you know, she was like yelling at the security guard to leave her fans alone. And then she just kind of continued on with the song without missing a beat. And it actually worked into the song.
1: Yeah, I'm so impressed. (laughs) Okay, we are totally, we're going down the rabbit hole again. And we said we weren't going to do it. I know. Oh, you know what? I also wanted to touch on the big teacher appreciation giveaway we did last week because it was teacher appreciation week. And we all know that teachers make the world go round without them. We would all be sunk. So we gave away something from our brand new merch store. We have we have our super cute, cool logo on tote bags, on mouse pads, on a mug. We're soon going to have an inspirational notepad for you to, to use in your writing. And you know what? Most importantly, Lisa did the whole thing.
0: I'm really, really proud of myself. But I have to say, when I was trying to figure it out, my head was exploding. And I think I was staring at my computer screen for too long. And my eye almost fell out. Like I looked at all these like... What is wrong with your eye? It was so bloodshot.
1: <laughs> so wait a minute. Why was it only one eye?
0: Because I have one eye. Like I have like astigmatism, and so one eye gets strained really easy. I look like Squidward with like his eye all red and bulgy. But I just it took me all day, and I was just like the motivating factor was just like getting you
1: to leave you alone. Yes, I know. I'll keep texting you at all hours of the day. Is it done yet? Is it done yet? I'm like an annoying toddler.
0: Anyway, it's there.
1: It's there. And it's it's on our link tree, which of course is in our bio on Twitter and also on our Instagram account. So if you want to go check out the new merch store, I just bought myself a tote bag because I'm such a tote bag kind of a gal. That right there tells you everything you need to know about me.
0: (laughs) Tote bags and cats. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes, and I did just ask Lisa to add a cat to our new logos. We're getting some new art done. And I was—I asked if I could please have a cat next to me in the art. So I'm super excited for that. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Okay, so we are here to talk about books on Botox. I mean, we could go on talking about ourselves um, slash Taylor Swift all afternoon, but we don't want to do that because we know you have things to do and you're here to hear about the books. So just a quick reminder, and I say this every episode, that all of our selections are available on our bookshop.org site. And that link is also in podcast notes and our link tree. Again, that's our Twitter profile at Beth and Lisa Pod and on Instagram at writers with wrinkles. So if you forget everything that we say from now until the end, you can go find the books on our bookshop.org site. So my book is called Remarkably Bright Creatures. The author is Shelby Van Pelt. It's a HarperCollins publication, came out in May 2022, so like just about a year ago. I have been hearing about this book kind of in the background for a while now. So I finally, I had put it on my library request list and it finally popped up. So I was very excited to read it. Quick summary, the main character, Tova Sullivan, Her best friend is a giant Pacific octopus named Marcellus that she met in an aquarium where she works nights cleaning. She's 70 years old. She has lost her son years and years ago to a drowning accident that the police say was suicide, and her husband died recently of cancer. So she lives in a very small town, made-up town near Puget Sound. It's called Sowell Bay, and she's lived there her whole life and she has friends, but she is just really drowning in these thick, dense layers of grief from the things that have happened to her. Her estranged brother has died as well with no reconciliation. She's very alone, and she's wounded. And the only thing that's keeping her going is this job at the aquarium, which she doesn't need financially, but she just needs a place to go. So it starts out with her working and getting to know this octopus. The octopus, ironically, this is kind of an interesting structural thing to note. The octopus has little chapters of his own and those are all told in first person where the rest of the book, Tova's part and several of the other characters are all third person. So I thought that was very interesting. It's almost as if this octopus has the spotlight. You are really in his head. And the octopus is absolutely delightful. I mean, he's at the end of his life. A a giant Pacific octopus will live about four years. He was rescued when he was quite young because he was wounded. And they rehabbed him and then kept him at the aquarium. So he feels a little bit like a prisoner. He refers to himself as a prisoner. He likes to sneak out of his cage and go around and eat the other the other creatures in the aquarium. I mean, it's, it's funny, but you actually really you are so vested in this octopus. So what happens? There's a little bit of a a mystery driving. The the story about this man, Cameron, who shows up in town and who is he and what is he doing there? And it is the absolute definition of a heartwarming read. It's charming. It is completely character driven. So you have to love these characters to believe the story and stay in the story. So that is what I wanted to point out about it for those of us who are using this to think about ways that we can improve our writing, the engaging characters, they are well-developed. They are far from perfect. They have traits that you don't like, but you accept because they're well-rounded. The tension that moves all of these people forward is the disappearance of the sun and this new man who has come to town underneath it all. It is all being driven by the narration of this octopus, which sounds crazy and ridiculous, but is wonderful. There were a few crutches that she used. There are too many pregnant teenagers pushing the plot. That part did not resonate for me. It felt a little bit like she had run out of ways to move things forward. I wish she had spent a little bit more time coming up with other ways to push the plot forward without these pregnant teenagers because there were just too many. One is fine. like. A handful, too many. So comps for this, Anxious People or Anything by Frederick Bachman, I think, would work. There's a book called Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett that is also really good. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which I covered a while ago as a book on Botox. Also, the same character-driven story where the characters are flawed, some in some cases deeply flawed, But the writing is so good that you you accept them as these fully rounded, authentic people. And they would not be as effective if they didn't have these deep flaws. So definitely a book to read if you're looking to kind of stretch the boundaries of the characters that you're writing, to make them more engaging, to make them more well-rounded. I would definitely recommend reading this book. It goes really fast. And I am madly in love with The Octopus. It was just... Yeah, stroke of genius the way she did it. So really enjoyable.
0: I wonder how she came up with this story idea and the structure, because it sounds amazing. As you were telling, I was leaning forward, like, Ooh, this sounds so good.
1: So she sets it in Puget Sound and I don't know of any aquariums up there, but in my head I was envisioning Monterey Bay aquarium because of course she's describing this, this made up town has kind of faded a little bit over the years. The aquarium is not super fancy, a little bit down on its luck. So not Monterey because Monterey of course is a huge, shiny, glossy aquarium, but the way she described it felt a lot like that to me. And at one point she reads off the sign that's next to the Pacific octopus's enclosure and Right then, I I thought to myself, she's taking this from a real aquarium. So, I mean, there might be one up there. I'm sure there's one in Puget Sound in that area that um, she was using as a reference, but I don't know it off the top of my head. But it definitely, the octopus is just, he's funny and he's wry and he sees things that humans don't see. So that is also driving the plot. He is trying to get, this woman who's cleaning the aquarium every night to see the things that are right in front of her face. And she's so blinded by grief that she can't get out of her own way. And so it's a, I mean, I think those books where there's an animal human friendship that transcends the boundaries that we have in real life. I am a absolute sucker. No pun intended for those books. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of them. And I really, you know, there were a couple of things in it that I was like, no, I don't, I I think she could have done better, made different choices, but they were, they were really minor.
0: Well, I'm perplexed about like all the pregnant teenagers. Like it was,
1: it was a plot device. And in order for her story to work, she needed one, she needed one pregnant teenager and she had three or four. And I felt like by the time you hit, three, you've definitely got at least one or two too far. And I'm starting to fall out of the book because I'm like, why do you keep bringing teenage pregnancy into this?
0: Just reminded me of when I sent you Heart and Souls and you were like, there's too much throw up going on. (laughs) (laughs) I think I had two characters throwing up and you're like, there's just too much happening. Stop
1: the barfing, too much barfing. I mean, that's, that's the same sort of thing. Like you, you notice stuff as a writer that you might not notice as a reader. I might be the only person on the planet who notices this, but
0: yeah. And that's one of those things where you're surprised that somebody even say, can we think this through a little bit more?
1: You know, it could be someone else could read it. Probably lots of people have read it and been like, what are you even going on about? I don't even remember that bit. So it it might just be a, as my teenage daughter would say, it might just be a me problem. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, that totally sounds like something she would say.
1: <laughs> I know, it is. She says it to me often.
0: <laughs> okay, so mine is, this is a um, a mutual friend of ours that we just love. And this is, and this book isn't out yet, so I'm sorry. I, I got a an arc of this. And it's The Fire, the Water, and Maudie McGinn. And it's by Sally J. Plaw, And it's so good. <laughs> I read this in one day. Which is, I know a lot of people do that. I don't often read a book in one sitting. I'll just, you know, I kind of wander from book to book. And this is one of those books where the characters so well written that when I wasn't, I like, I went to go pick up Ollie, and I was thinking about her like she was a real person. Like I had to stop, like, and go get all in, then come back and keep reading and. I literally forgot for a moment <laughs> that it was a character in a book. I'm like, I wonder how Maddie's doing. Is she okay? And I'm like, oh my God, it's a character in a book. You know, when that happens, that means the author has done a really, really good job on writing this character. And her writing is just beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's about, well, let me read you the, the, the story. Monty lives for summers with her dad. But this year, the season begins with a wildfire that turns Maddie's world upside down. She and her dad evacuate to a beach town, and as she navigates new waters, she makes some tentative friendships, but will she be able to reveal the truth about life with her mom and stepdad before the summer is over? So there's some really intense themes from the story. There's abuse happening with the stepfather, but the way that she handles it, she does it so delicately that it, you know, sometimes when you read a book with a theme like that, it can really trigger you. And she does it in such a way that it's gentle and then it's not like too much for a middle grade. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make you just shut the book and run away. She's so, so good at that delicate handling of really intense emotions and experiences and things that are traumatic. She's really one of the best people I think working in that space in middle grade because You're never you're never walking away from it feeling like you've been sort of blindsided by it or it's been presented in such a way that you cannot digest it because it's too much. So she's really her very first book, The Someday Birds, which I read, our debut middle grade books came out the same year. I was just blown away. And I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing writing in this space? Because I'm never going to be that good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, and she, it's the character's autistic. And so you get to see the world through that point of view. And it just, the whole thing was fascinated. I was captivated. The story itself, the characters that she brings in makes it so rich and the setting and just everything about it. And just, again, that, that thing of not getting triggered. Because sometimes I've opened up books to read and like right away I'm like, oh my God, this is too much. I'm I'm like already upset and then I don't get past it. But she does it in such a way that the reader can get past it. And if they're dealing with something like this, it kind of eases them into it in such a, a lovely way that I just think this is one of those books that just needs to be in the hand of every middle grade reader. And from the point of view of a writer studying how she layers it in and how she does it so wonderfully. I
1: know she has a website that she runs and I can't remember the name of it, but I'll I'll figure it out and put it on Twitter where she gathers resources and books about neurodivergency. And I think if you are wrestling with writing a character that falls into that category in any way, for sure be reading her books because she'll give you a roadmap on how to do that effectively and gently, I guess is a good word enough that it will get read as opposed to being put aside because it's overwhelming. She's definitely somebody that you should be following if you're working on characters that that fall into that that space.
0: oh, absolutely. and it it, it was really it's probably one of my favorite books this year. like I never put it down except for to go get Ollie and I was just so in love with it
1: and then you were like, Ollie hurry up, get in the car. we've gotta go. <laughs> I gotta get home
0: it comes out July 11th and actually she's going to be on the show and we can ask her questions about this and if you have questions for Sally please email us or DM us on Twitter or Instagram and we'll we'll ask her for you because she's just a wealth of information just the nicest person we actually did a book signing with her at nerd camp
1: right pre-pandemic Yeah, way back when I know it's like crazy long time ago. But yeah, I was I was really happy to see this new book by her. And I'm looking forward to reading it myself when I can get myself a copy because she is one of my favorites. All right, good recommendation. Awesome. As always, we encourage you to pick up these titles again, bookshop.org on our link tree and we will be right back with today's hot tip. So don't go away. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. We are going to talk about our hot writing tip. Now, this is based on some back and forth on Twitter that some of you may have followed with an agency separating from an agent. Now, we're not going to talk about the specifics because we do not know what actually happened in the backstory. But if you were watching that or you got caught up in it, It made us think that if you are in the trenches querying for an agent, there are a few questions that you ought to ask people who you are considering working with. So very specific questions here. What happens if that agent leaves the agency or is let go? And this is important because publishing is always in flux. People are coming and going and going and coming all the time. That is not unusual. My first book, I lost three editors for that book because they went on to do different things, which is totally fine. It is the nature of the business, but that doesn't mean that you can't prepare for it if it becomes your situation. So what happens if that agent leaves or is let go? What happens if you have books on sub with that agent who is suddenly gone? What if you're in the middle of negotiations and that agent is suddenly gone? What if your book has already sold? Who's going to handle the process until publication? What about royalties? Who gets them and who pays you if your agent is no longer there? How do all of these things work? And it's do not be afraid to ask the questions. I know that sometimes we think of agents as these sort of scary mythical beings that are all-knowing and all-seeing but they are all human and they are happy to have you engaged enough to be asking them direct specific questions. And they'll have answers because there's not an agency in the world that hasn't had an agent leave for whatever reason. So there are answers to these questions. And if you know them up front, maybe it never happens to you. Maybe you stay with your agent forever under the umbrella that you start with, or maybe your agent leaves. Or maybe your agent gets fired or any other possibility, you know the answers to these questions so that you're not staying up all night in a total panic about what's going to happen to your writing career. So really, it's just a quick lesson or a quick reminder to ask the questions of the agent that you're talking to. Get concrete answers. Don't be scared. Ask the questions. Find out what happens in the eventuality that you part ways.
0: And I think it's okay to ask if you're already agented to ask your current agent. Like this is, you know, we just all saw this play out and the stress that these poor authors went through, these writers went through of suddenly finding themselves without an agent or an agency. It's a terrible place to be. Writing and publishing is stressful enough. And, you know, the the other thing is, it's just, I've known people who've been on sub, their agent leaves, and then that book that they have on sub just doesn't go anywhere and no other agent's going to pick it up because it's already been on sub. So books die because of that. So I think it's really important to find out if you leave while I'm in the sub process, who will continue that. That's, you know, you just don't want your book to be that you've worked on for 10 years or whatever to suddenly be just drifting out aimlessly. So all good questions and asking your, your current agent as well.
1: All right. Good, good to note that too. So potential new agent, current agent, any agent that's in your orbit, ask them the questions, get the answers. It'll make you much more calm and relaxed and not panicky if something goes sideways, because we know that life is all about things going sideways, right? (laughs) Lisa's like, oh yeah, except for Taylor. Oh no, Taylor Swift sometimes has things go sideways. It rained through her whole concept.
0: She makes the world right. When the world tilts, she tilts it back.
1: All right, that's our books on Botox. Please mark your calendars for episode 30, which drops on May 29th. As I mentioned earlier, our guest is Hannah McKinnon, most recently of The Darlings, which is out now and should be on everyone's beach read list. Our chat with Hannah was so much fun. I'll say it again. So don't miss it next week. And that is it, dear listeners. We will see you next time. Until then, happy writing, reading, and listening. Bye, Lisa.
0: Bye, Beth. Bye, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Writers with Wrinkles. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.